0: You're listening to our radio, Canada, home and abroad, and I'm honoured to be sitting across from Sean Fleming, who is the Minister for State in the Department of Foreign Affairs, with responsibility for uh, the diaspora and also for uh, what would be international development. Um, Minister, first of all, thanks, a million, for taking the time, and honoured to sit across from you. And thank you very much for the opportunity, and I welcome um, the
1: opportunity to have a chat with yourselves and explain some of the issues that people will be interested in.
0: Now, I will ex- uh, say that I emigrated from your constituency, but yep. it had nothing to do with you, yeah. <laughs> 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 um, and I was on the offley side. So right. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> your, your, uh, Chuck yep. uh, uh, what is from our terminology, is you're a member of Parliament for what is a five-seat constituency, uh, Leash Offley. On this side of the Atlantic, people don't are not familiar with things like three, four, five seat constituencies because it's a first past the post type electoral system. Ireland has a proportional representation. Yeah. Could you Give a a quick overview of what that means and the implications of it. Okay, first of all, um, I'm
1: from the constituency of Lee-Shotley, which is dead centre in the midlands of Ireland, so that's where I'm actually based. And it's a mix of some large towns and then rural areas as well. No big city in it, um, so it's a medium-sized constituency. So, the way um, our constitution um, was written was for what we call proportional representation. Personally, and most of us in Ireland think it's actually designed to be the fairest electoral system in the world as opposed to single seat constituencies because what happens in the system that you have and most other countries have a single seat constituency and um, there's a couple of people running to be elected for parliament one makes it and that's it so I would always feel in a uh, situation like that all the people who voted for the other unsuccessful candidates personally feel they have no representation Mm -hmm. in the National Parliament because the guy or the woman who's got the position is not from their party and they feel slightly disenfranchised but the idea of proportional representation and having three, four or five seats in the one constituency it means normally most of the parties get represented in most of the constituencies so if you vote for the, the names of our party, Fianna Fáil um, you're likely to get Axina Fall TD elected if you're for Fine Gael or Labour or Socialist Party. One of your people are likely to be elected. Now, the bigger party might get two elected in a constituency and but it does mean a far more representative so everybody who votes instead of going in and voting for just one person you can give the person you want to know your first preference that you want to represent you but if that person doesn't make it you can have a second choice a third choice fourth choice fifth choice depending on the number of candidates all the way down so you're going to ultimately End up with a representative in the parliament for somebody who you give a preference to. So you do feel one of the four or five uh, TDs, we, as we call them in Irish, MPs, as you call them here, um, will represent your view. So it's very inclusive. Now, the only unusual thing about that is in a constituency, you could easily end up with two members from the same party if that party had a good vote they could elect two members so you have a situation then you have competition between the elected members within the party and with their opposition parties and I actually maintain that's a a healthy Mm -hmm. development keeps everybody on their toes because I've seen so many constituencies a person gets in they could be there for 40 years or 30 years because it's traditionally Uh, that party gets the majority and then there's so many people not represented by that person whereas in our situation when you're four or five at least one of the five will be your person, so I think that's very fair
0: and as the name implies proportional, one of the things I've noticed and I think has been historically the case in Ireland and that is that the smaller parties and I don't mean um, a third or fourth party but I mean what would be quite small groups tend to actually get representation in the Dáil based on what would appear to be their overall numbers, so as as a percentage. So as you would say, it it tends to reflect the the full spectrum of political opinion.
1: Yeah, and you have everybody, and it does mean that it's not just the two main parties take 99% of the seats. The two main parties in Ireland would be lucky to even have 50% between them. So everybody's opinion gets reflected in the National Parliament, and we say And in proportion to their number of votes but they do get into the national parliament and that's I think very fair and what I will say is that it can make the job of forming a government a little bit more difficult because nobody is going to end up with a major majority like I see lots of countries where uh, a government could be formed by a party with a majority having only got 35% of the vote. That to me is not very democratic 65% of the people didn't vote for the government
0: Mm -hmm. so you don't have that in our system. As I understand the Irish system you'd need roughly nearly 45% of the vote in order to get what would be a clear majority.
1: Yeah And, Mm -hmm. and and the thing about proportional as well is the number of seats in the parliament very closely equates to the first preference vote. So you'd want at least 45% of the vote to be close to a majority. Right. You know. So um, I, and that makes it very makes it very difficult on us as politicians, but it's good for the public because they have. And then in the constituency, if they feel a member of parliament is that lazy, doesn't do his work, doesn't represent them, they can go to somebody else. They've got their right. voter MPs go to
0: Minister, you're you're in politics now. What does I see from? Uh of
1: 1997,
0: was it? Yeah. You re- yeah. yeah. Um, the tone of politics has changed. Yeah. Have you noticed that in your own yeah. situation? Yeah, the tone of politics has changed um, across the world.
1: Mm-hmm. And Ireland is reflecting that. And you have it here in Canada and you have it in, in the United States and you have it... It's far more aggressive. Mm-hmm. And um, I would say two things about that is um, in Ireland, in many countries, we don't have enough of women in our national parliament. And I actually believe the change in tone in politics and how the public react to the elected members and social media and everybody can have a go at whoever they likes and it, that can take off. It's actually... And the women in our parliament tell us they feel intimidated by that. Mm-hmm. And um, I think it's going to in a way lead to less women going forward because um, they just don't want to be in a game as they will call it where people are attacking each other and members of the public are attacking them all mm-hmm. the time and uh, they will put their families first and maybe not enter politics so th- that's one difficulty I see as a result of that personally, Touchwood so far I've never experienced any Mm-hmm. Um, serious difficulty from anybody um, in recent years so maybe in the Midlands we're a little bit ca- more calm but in the in some of the cities they're far more aggressive mm-hmm. and uh, some people like that or you know I would say you know not of walk of life you can do your business without being aggressive now some people shout very loud in the parliament and they think that's formula for success but I think a lot of people would see the, prefer to see equality of debate rather than who can shout the loudest and we have a bit of that Mm -hmm. um, in the parliament and you have quite a lot of that in social media as well
0: Mm -hmm. so uh, then Minister while you mentioned the challenges that would be faced by particularly female um, potential politicians Mm -hmm. um, do you think the current climate is a disincentive to anybody who um, may be I won't quite say sensitive but moderate from potentially entering yeah, politics but one of the other difficulties is the work life balance
1: because mm-hmm. you have to go to your parliament and um, and you're away for a number of days every week in Ireland we our parliament we actually our parliament term matches the school so we have the summer summer break and we have a break at christmas and easter and times like that uh, and it does match you know the school timetable and that's helpful in terms of family life because you know, if you have children, you're on holidays from there on holidays, and that's good as well. But I do think the climate is making it much more difficult for people to enter politics. But the work-life balance and the attacks on politicians and women take that far more seriously because uh, they want to shield their families mm-hmm. from that. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I definitely think it's, it's not going to be helpful in the long term.
0: Moving on to your own portfolio as um, Minister for State and with responsibility for the diaspora, Um, Ireland has taken a very strong position on maintaining connections with the diaspora. It has been a very important as a government policy for many years. Yeah, absolutely. And some people might be familiar
1: with the word diaspora, but I would say the Irish abroad. That's how we'd translate it. And I think Ireland, over the last two centuries, probably more people have emigrated from Ireland than are actually living in Ireland today. So we've always had a strong sense of those Irish people abroad. In, the, in recent times, um, it has changed, but prior to that, most people emigrated to either the United States or to, or to London or Great Britain or England or somewhere like that. And uh, English-speaking countries in the first place. Mm-hmm. But now yeah, we have people emigrating to lots of different countries, younger people. But in the old days, people had to emigrate out of force. There was no jobs in Ireland. They had to go and earn a living, whereas now people who are emigrating now are doing a as a career choice, mm-hmm. to have their qualifications, they have the university degrees or as the case may be and they choose to go somewhere for a few years and they may stay there forever or they may come back in the meantime but definitely um, going back um, to the, the famine in Ireland years ago um, when people were forced to emigrate and then more laterally in the 50s and 60s after the World War, Ireland was very poor as a country and people had to leave for war. So there's a great sense in the Irish DNA of some of our people had to leave the country and there's a great sense uh, in the DNA of the Irish people to support people who had to leave uh, in the more difficult circumstances you know, than um, we would have maybe today.
0: I know you've been getting a good briefing on the connection between Ireland and Canada and the history of the uh, the Irish in Canada and how deep it is and how long it is. Um, It has tended to be the poor relation or the the hidden gem uh, in the Irish psyche because our neighbour to the south has tended to overshadow us. And yet, the relationship is in many ways, as a percentage of the population, there are probably more Irish in Canada. than there would be in the US as a percentage of the population have you been surprised or impressed by some of that? I'm surprised and what um, I was most impressed by is in relation
1: to the people who emigrated, I would say from the island of Ireland because everything up to now we're talking in the, the Republic of Ireland, the 26th county context which we as a government deal with, but what I've been most uh, had my eyes open the most for me here is the number of people who emigrated from Belfast and Northern Ireland and from a different religion you know more Protestant than most of the people in the Republic were Catholics and the venturated here, worked together here and got on together mm-hmm. and I have seen that as the clearest example of emigration from both parts of the island of Ireland over the years and people settling in a country whereas maybe even take uh, the United States we would be much more aware of the people who left from the Republic of Ireland now Mm -hmm. lots of people would have left from Northern Ireland but I, I, I actually think and this is a personal observation you don't have the same linkage whereas here it's seamless Uh, more seamless than in other countries Mm -hmm. two different sets of groups that left Ireland for different Mm -hmm. periods, uh, over different periods
0: Yeah, I would have to uh, comment and say that the, uh, what would be the tribal perceptions that are on the island of Ireland a lot of them are left behind when we touch down over here.
1: More so in Canada than in other countries and that's, that's my own personal observation even, you know, I'm only here this week, but I would have always, when I'm in other countries, you're tending to meet the people who emigrated from the Republic of Ireland. And maybe there's a lesson for us in the Department of Foreign Affairs that we need to be more open when we go abroad and visit to make sure we have people who are from the Protestant background and maybe a bit more British than some of ourselves in the 26 counties that we reach out to them as well. You know, and I think that's
0: something we have to do more of. In that context, um, and not wanting to engage or, or can I, uh, suck you in on a, on a controversy, but the situation in north of the border currently as a result yeah. of Brexit yeah. uh, has placed, placed an awful lot of strains on what would have been a warm, cordial, cooperative relationship between your department particularly and the north of Ireland.
1: Yeah, well, warm and cordial, I'm delighted to hear those words being used <laughs> in that context. But what I will say is, look at, you know, we had the Good Friday Agreement and even John de chasselin and a number of Canadian people were very helpful and he was over um, in Ireland just very recently and he was in good health and, and we we're, were very grateful to his work and work uh, of other people from outside of Ireland. And what helped with that was there were people from outside of Ireland and the UK involved in that as well. They're almost the international guarantors of what was going on 25 years ago and that was good and they were respected from both sides. But what I, I would say is we have the problems we have now are solely as a result of Brexit by and large okay if the UK was st- still in the, the European Union um, we wouldn't have part of the island of Ireland in the EU as we, as we are and part of the island is now outside of the European Union and that created a new round of difficulties that wasn't foreseen the Good Friday Agreement years ago and they are practical issues practical issues customs clearance and tariffs and trade and you know I'm familiar with it I was in the Department of Finance for the last few years and English companies stopped writing insurance policies in Thailand because it was a small market and, and they were now outside the EU but I will say this um, Business and trade across the border in Ireland has increased since uh, Brexit okay. and Northern Ireland and Irish companies know there is mu- now much more trade. So on one level the people are getting on with it but we have a difficulty with the political institutions that are not sitting and that's blocking a lot of initiatives that the private sector who are trying to do their best but they need the government structures in place to facilitate you know, business. And, and projects to get them to go ahead and they're all held up at the moment and uh, that's not good and really we want the institutions up and running again they were there before and they were working and we had a, you know we had a deputy we had a first minister and deputy first minister and that worked and we just need to get back to that.
0: Minister Ireland like I suppose most developed countries are experiencing housing crisis at Mm. the moment it's not unique to any one country Mm. and yet I know when you go into any one country everyone shouts as if they're the only one (laughs) that are suffering from it Um, I know that there's a strategy in place Mm. within Ireland to try and address it and it's going to take time in the shorter term do you see any light at the end of the tunnel? And I say in the shorter term? Yeah well housing
1: is a big issue and I think um, you ha- we have to ask ourselves why and there's two reasons, two contributory factors. One is it's only a few years ago the population of the Republic of Ireland was 3.5 million. If We were having a conversation uh, 10 years ago that's the type of a population. It's now 5.2 million. So we've had a phenomenal increase in population, a a lot of it through inward immigration. Mm -hmm. So people, that was never factored into our figures for housing over the decades. So we've had a major increase in population that wasn't planned for, wasn't expected. The level of inward immigration wasn't expected and that has led to an increased demand for housing and then we had a big financial crash in Ireland. Um, about 12 or 13 years ago and for a period after that crash there was no investment in housing so we weren't building houses and that caused a problem but the second and actually more bigger issue that nobody talks about is the increase in population so there is a problem and you have it in most countries but thankfully uh, we're now building more houses this year and last year than any time in the last 15 years so we're getting there but it's still slow Um, but the situation is that people who have housing difficulties, the worst case scenario is that um, people who don't have their own accommodation, the government is providing through um, approved housing bodies and local authorities accommodation for people. It might be in hotels, it's not a good situation but people have somewhere to live and to you know, base their family and have their food but it's not good enough to rearing children in hotels that are used now for this purpose. So it's important that we do get more houses built for people or apartment blocks if that's people's choice um, as quickly as possible but we're on the right track but there's a few years ahead of us yet before we get back to a proper situation
0: and minister one of the dichotomies of that situation is i know there's often criticism leveled and yeah. that, again not just at the irish government but this is an international thing in such a time of crisis when there's such demands <coughs> within the country Why would, and this again is your portfolio, why would you be sending money off to somewhere else? Why would you be involved in international development? Yeah, well, the the answer in Ireland is very simple, you know, and uh, there's great public
1: support for what we do um, in terms of um, development overseas um, because, as I said, Irish people know, so many Irish people had to emigrate in the past, so we do have goodwill towards people who are not as well off as ourselves. And uh, it's always been in the DNA of the Irish people to help people who are furthest behind. So most of the budget that we utilize in Ireland, 90% of it goes to the continent of Africa because it's the poorest continent in the world and I would say aid from Canada goes there as well and the United States and Canada and, and Ireland have worked together on many projects, education, some health projects and we collaborate um, very closely, and we work together through often giant projects through the UN. Um, and sometimes we push money into a fund in the UN. We don't do it all ourselves. Mm-hmm. Canada doesn't do it all themselves. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we work from an agency, you know, that's bigger than both of us, and you get uh, better delivery on the ground. But I think most people, there is deep down. Uh, generosity of spirit in most people for people who are worse off than themselves and uh, you know we've seen it more recently with um, the illegal invasion of Ukraine by Russia um, we've 80,000 people who have come from Ukraine to Ireland I think there's about 140,000 have come from Ukraine to Canada mm-hmm. and, and you know I, I, no matter how difficult people are there's a generosity of spirit in most people to help those who are worse off than themselves at a particular time
0: I know the ambassador here in Ottawa uh, yeah. Canada showed you an example of what was the original telegraph cable that was laid between Canada and Ireland and uh, the big heavy copper wire and uh, how it was laid as one piece and how times have changed and now the, with my fibre optics uh, so much more traffic is travelling across underwater. Concerns have been identified recently that Russian submarines are probably out there mapping where those cables are and given how globally we are all so interdependent and interconnected um, is Ireland feeling itself to be in a vulnerable position because it is the last stop or the first stop in Western Europe. Well first of all, any country being naive to
1: not rely on their first year probably doing that. That's the first thing to say. And even if they're not doing it, we should work on the basis that it could happen and we need to be prepared for it, and definitely, Ar- Ireland is a small country, and we 've never been involved in a military alliance or no intention to ever do to join NATO. I know Canada is a proud member of NATO, but Ireland being a small country we 've always been militarily neutral. However, we do have to defend ourselves and we 're part of the EU, and as you 've said, those cables are pr- coming across the Irish waters you know, between Europe and and the entire North America in particular, and the amount of communications we have, and we're all on our phones and everything here and getting our emails, that's thanks to that cable and the fiber optic cable that's out there. So, if anything were to happen, that um, in the short term, people wouldn't get access to mm-hmm. the cash in the bank within two seconds mm-hmm. and it'd uh, be catastrophic. So, we have a duty, um, I suppose, from a defense point of view, to defend. Um, our communication links the same as we have to defend the see if anything happened like that. What we are not able to do in our own we're a small country and it's not just a connection between Ireland uh, and uh, North America, it's between Europe and North America. So we need and we do need the help and cooperation of, of our neighbours at the EU level and the UK to maintain the security and integrity of that. So we have to work together from a defence point of view, not from a military point of view, so definitely everybody is alert to that now and uh, we're more conscious of even when the cables are there they can be used for cyber attacks and government agencies that we've had in the past. So there's a great need both for cyber security and physical security of of, of the, the connecting cables as well, so I think we're all in that space now.
0: Minister, I know you're going to go to the um, festival down in Miramichi yeah. it's on my bucket list yeah. uh, to get down there it's uh, probably one of the largest Irish festivals over here uh, and I know there were some native Irish speakers up to relatively recently living in that area yeah. um, so aside from that because you've yet to get there what has been the outstanding or what has, would you say has been uh, the, your um, most poignant experience so far here?
1: yeah um, well first of all um, my, my first port of call was in Toronto at to the Carlec building and we met with Robert Cairns the chairman of that mm-hmm. and it's going to be a fantastic facility right on the edge of the lake right beside the airport there so that's good news and that's happening and then I met newly arrived immigrants they're full of optimism they got work some of them might have taken two or three months that was good and I met with um, our development Employment development agencies who are encouraging Canadian business to go to Ireland and Irish companies to come and trade um, in Canada, which is very good. And then I met my colleague and counterpart, Parliamentary Secretary Anita uh, Vanderfield. And we're on the same page every conversation mm-hmm. we've just had she could be saying the same thing about Canada supporting countries in Africa and less well off places but um, I w- what, what I will say was we had a great meeting last night in um, St. Bridges Wells here and it wasn't a bit poignant I've actually have had no poignant moment yet okay um, I did visit um, a, 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 an area in Ottawa with the uh, with the ambassador yesterday where it's believed that there are bodies from the time mm-hmm. of the family in 19, or 1847 buried mm-hmm. and I think they're going to get ground radar equipment to identify it, with the view of putting a, a monument to commemorate that in, as soon as possible mm-hmm. and um, it would be lovely to see that to come to fruition and it does bring it home the difficulties of people who were forced to immigrate mm-hmm. in those days. But so far, so far uh, it has been um, an uplifting visit. I use that rather than um, the opposite. Mm-hmm. And um, what I will say is in St well Wells yesterday, it was fantastic too. Um, There's up to 100 people there, all through every sort of question at me as a visiting minister of state and there's a great variety of ordinary people um, who are there, not just the organi- representatives of organisations, so that was very uplifting and I was delighted to, to meet with uh, Ottawa Rosa Tralee who's father um, coming from County Leach, Port Arnith, mm-hmm. in my own country, whom I actually happen to know the family. So right.
0: I didn't know about that until they arrived. So the so next stop was Tralee. And you're going to have to go down now.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it will be there. The only conflict is we've released roads at Tralee as well. So I have two <laughs> roses <laughs> to, to look out for. So we'll, we'll see what happens. We'll but see we'll you know, that, that event is at the end of August, which is great. But as you said, um, Miramichi from day one when we said we were coming I said I wanted to get out and see somewhere outside of the main cities mm-hmm. because most people live in the main cities but I said you no, know, the real Canada you have to get outside it's like come to Ireland if you only stay in Dublin you're not getting the full feel for the rest of the country so right. I was keen from day one to go and and the embassy here identified that as the best place to go uh, in that I know it might be
0: a long trip but I'm looking forward to it and of course the former Canadian ambassador uh, to Ireland uh, Kevin Bickers that's down his neck of the woods so he'll probably be there Um, and when you do mention the Midlands of course uh, I would say I cycled around Borobag there a year or two ago and it was most enjoyable and uh, there's a a stone in Borobag at the stone circle that one of the local guys here recovered from the dock in New York okay. uh, when the dock, I think Pier 47 or whatever was going to be destroyed he brought it back up here to Ottawa and when the Circle stone circle was being built at Bura, he brought, sent it over and has it as incorporated into that um, Section
1: of the monument at Borobog. Yeah, and what's good about Borobog, and so people will understand in Ireland we had a lot of peatlands and we had turf, as we, I don't know what do you call it turf here, but we, people had it for home heating and we used to generate electricity uh, through the turf. But with climate change and we were degrading all the natural bogs and damaging our biodiversity, so we're stopped using uh, all turf for commercial reasons now, and we're now trying to reinstate original bog land as it was probably centuries ago Mm -hmm. and the biodiversity and it's fantastic to hear about the walks and the cycle trails that we're putting through those so people will be able to get back out across the old bog lands which uh, were probably beginning
0: to look like again what they did look like originally a hundred years ago. Minister I know your time is precious I really appreciate that you took the time that we could sit down and have a chat it's been a real honor and uh, I know you will enjoy when you get down to New Brunswick. Thank you again so much.
1: Thank you and look forward to visiting Canada again soon.